we're looking at uh, Les Miserables. And the original Les Miserables was uh, the novel by Victor Hugo. came out in 1862 and was published in France. And when it came out, it was highly anticipated but received mixed reviews, and a lot of them being, being negative, actually. Uh, but over time, um, this novel found a very uh, adoring audience, uh, not just in France, but across Europe and eventually um, across the world. Uh, to this day, it's widely considered to be uh, one of the greatest novels of the 19th century. And in 1980, the novel was made into a musical. And then after it was reworked and re-released in 1985, uh, it quickly became a huge hit. And two years later, it went to Broadway. And it's been playing ever since, making it one of the longest-running musicals uh, in the world. Uh, it's been translated into 22 languages. It's been performed in 42 countries to a live audience of over 60 million people. It's pretty incredible. And the novel turned musical, this, this story, it's been released for film and television uh, now 67 times in the past 115 years. Uh, it's a pretty incredible story. And of course, the most recent being in December. Incredible story. And Victor Hugo's uh, story has been called, the, it's the ultimate tale, the ultimate tale of redemption. And we kind of went back and forth on which version to show clips from this morning. Um, originally we thought, hey, there's a new one. Of course we're going to do the, the new one, right? Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway and Russell Crowe, not a strong singer, great actor though. And so we thought for sure uh, that was what we were going to show. And then, and then I watched it and, and it's, it's great if you're a musical person, right? But if you're not, it's, it's really hard to get into. Uh, it took me like half the movie to just get used to all the dialogue being singing the whole time. It's like, and so it's really, it's going to be really tough to edit. And, and if you're not a musical person, you're going to struggle for a full 20 minutes. So we just decided, you know what? Musical people can appreciate art that's not musical, uh, but non-musical people are not going to appreciate musicals. So <laughs> we took the safe, the safe route. And so we, we decided we're going to show the one with Liam Neeson, yeah, to which all the men went, yeah. Um, exactly. And so if you are a musical person, though, and you were, just, you were so excited for this morning to watch it on the big screen again at church, no less, I sincerely apologize. Uh, but to make it up to you, I'm going to be singing this morning's sermon. So, <laughs> no, I'll spare you. I'll spare you. Uh, what I am going to be doing, though, just so you know, is I'm going to be pulling a lot uh, that I've gleaned from a pastor by the name of John Ortberg, who I've, I've quoted before. And, you know, one of the great joys of, of what I get to do is I get to share uh, what God's teaching me, what God's doing in me, uh, what I see him doing in you, and some of the stories of this community, uh, you know, insights and thoughts and ideas uh, that honestly come from all over the place oftentimes, not just from myself. And every now and then I come across a message that just hits me between the eyes, and I think I've got to share this with Mosaic. Mosaic has got to hear this. And so... So this morning is one of those where I get to really pay it forward. And so if you come up to me after this message and you say, that was the worst thing I've ever heard. Um, my life is worse as a result. Um, I'm going to blame John Ortberg, just so you know. And if you come up to me and say, that was the most amazing message I've ever heard. I, my life will never be the same. I'm changed as a result of that message. I will say, thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. <laughs> so we're going to watch a few scenes from uh, Les Mis. And uh, just so you know, this is not the greatest cut that we have ever done. And uh, you're going to actually be seeing the very beginning of the story, a couple scenes in the middle, and the very end of the story. And so you're missing two and a half hours of character development and plot line. Um, but we did that, and, and I decided to do that because I want you to really get a feel 
uh, for two characters in, in particular in the story, and that is Jean Valjean and Javert. Uh, two very different men, and I wanted you to see two, uh, some of the, defining, the moments that really came to define their lives. Two men that met Grace, who Grace came to, and who responded in, in very different ways. Uh, and it produced something very different in both of their lives. So that's what we're going to do. Get comfortable. I present to you Les Mis. One day Grace came to a man named Jean Valjean. He was not looking for it. Uh, truth be known, he didn't want it. But Grace came. For 19 years he spent in prison, hard labor for a crime he committed. He stole a loaf of bread to try to, to feed his sister's children. And after the initial sentence and several failed escape attempts, in the end it was 19 years of hard labor that he paid for his crime. In the novel, Victor Hugo takes a deep look at the human condition, the spiritual condition of the human heart, and he writes, he writes this about how Valjean, he decided on the other side of this wrong that he was going to hate humans, other people, and he was going to hate God as a result of what happened. And Hugo writes this. He says, From year to year, this soul had dried away slowly, but with fatal sureness. For when the heart is dry, the eye is dry. On its departure from the galleys, it had been 19 years since he had shed a tear. Right? And sin does this to him. He thinks of himself as a victim, and in many ways he is a victim, but he's not just a victim. No one is just a victim. And what he doesn't realize is what this hate that he chooses does in himself. He doesn't realize that to choose to hate, to own that sin, is far more corrosive, the sin that we choose, than any sin that comes to us from the outside. But he's blind to this, and Hugo writes, Jean Valjean was in the shadows. He suffered in the shadows. He hated in the shadows. Right? And this is the human condition. Right? This is my story, and whether you realize it or not, this is your story too. That apart from God, we remain in the shadows. But then, one day, grace comes to Jean Valjean. And it comes through an extraordinary man named Bishop Mariel, and the first hundred pages of the novel are devoted to this extraordinary character. And Bishop Mariel is a follower of Jesus in the truest sense of the word. And so he takes very seriously when Jesus says, look, what you've done for the least of these, uh, you've done for me. And so when you feed someone who has no food, uh, what you're really doing is you're feeding me. When you give water or clean water to those who don't have it, what you're doing is you're doing that for me. When you give clothes, when you give shoes to those who cannot afford it, you're not just doing that for them, you're doing that for me. When you visit the prisoner, you're not just doing it for them, you're doing it for me. When you practice hospitality, when you invite a stranger into your home, a prisoner into your home, the marginalized, you do that for me. Right, it's, it's this idea that right, if I live for myself, I will be lost. But if I live for others, right, if, if, I, if I notice, if I care, if I, if I love, if I, if I serve, if I offer myself to help in whatever way I can, well, there, there I find life. And, and the bishop does this. In fact, he, if you read the story, he does it especially for those who have very little, the marginalized. 
the weak, the wretched, the most vulnerable. And what's not depicted in the film and is depicted in the novel is actually the bishop has been given this, this big palace to live in. But he notices that uh, the poor and the sick are crammed into these small spaces and so he gives to them his palace for them to go live in and he moves into their small space. He believes with everything in him that is more blessed to give than to receive and he's constantly giving of himself and encouraging others to do the same. And I love this line. It says, He visited the poor so long as he had any money. When he no longer had any, he visited the rich. <laughs> I love that. And so he's constantly sacrificing and looking out for those who have very little. And so when Jean Valjean shows up at his doorstep, he just does what he's always done. He invites him into his home. He looks him in the eye. He welcomes him. He listens to him. He invites him to come and eat and drink at his table, to eat with his silverware, which is, in the book, it's the last valuable things that he owns. But Valjean doesn't get it. And I love how Lee Nielsen, it's depicted in the film, he just, he just can't fathom the kindness. He can't fathom why he's being welcomed into the home. And he shows him his passport. He's like, don't you understand who I am? And immediately, the bishop says, I know who you are. And he's, he's taken back and he's afraid because he feels like he's been found out. And this is what the bishop says. He says, your name is brother. You're my brother. I'm not, I'm not sharing my home with you. This, this, is, this is your home. But Valjean is still in the shadows. His grace takes a while. He wakes up in the night as we watch and he steals the silver and he runs off, but he's very quickly caught. And he's brought back to the bishop and he's just waiting for the hammer to come down. All the bishop has to do is give the nod and he's going to go right back to the quarries where he's going to spend the rest of his life in chains. But the bishop doesn't say it. In fact, the bishop says, uh, I don't understand. You've forgotten the most precious, the most valuable gift I had to give you. These candlesticks are worth more than everything else. He not only does not not send him to prison, he gives him even, even more, even more generous. The last of anything valuable that he has to give. And then the bishop pulls him aside and he says this to him. He says, do not forget, never forget, that you have promised to use this money to become an honest man. And Jean Valjean, who had no recollection of promising anything, <laughs> don't you love that? Because grace is sneaky like that. Right, grace will make you a better person than you ever wanted to be. Grace will find a promise in you that you never made. And Jean Valjean remains speechless. And the bishop says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I buy back from you. I withdraw it from black thoughts and sin and I give it to God. Valjean is free. Valjean is rich. Valjean is, is forgiven. But he's still in, in misery. Only now it's a new kind of misery. It's so interesting. Victor Hugo writes, Valjean leaves the bishops. And it says this. It says he was conscious of a sort of rage. He did not know uh, against whom it was directed. He could not have told whether he was touched or humiliated. 
There came over him at moments a strange emotion which he resisted and to which he opposed the hardness acquired during the last 20 years of his life. To this celestial kindness he opposed pride, which is the fortress of evil within us. In the book, Jean Valjean actually commits one more crime. And he steals a small piece of silver from a little boy. And in the moment, he is overwhelmed by what he has become, the contrast of what he's become and what the bishop has done for him. And it overwhelms him. He becomes desperate and he runs back and he shouts and he tries to find the boy because he wants to make it right. He wants to give it back, but he cannot find him. And it says his legs gave way abruptly under him as though an invisible power had suddenly overwhelmed him with the weight of his evil conscience. He fell exhausted on a large stone, his fists clenched in his hair and his face on his knees, and he cried, I am a wretch. There's an old song that many of you know. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. That is grace for Le Ra, the wretched one. It says, then his heart burst and he began to cry. And it was the first time that he had wept in 19 years. What cruelty could not do, what pain could not do, Grace did. And now Valjean is going to have to die. He's going to have to die to all that, that hardness, to all that vengeance, to all that, that anger and bitterness that, truth be known, has kept him alive for 19 years. All that has steeled him, he's going to have to die to it. He's going to have to be humbled. He's going to have to actually just absolutely and completely be undone by guilt. You know, I think that, that grace is, is a wonderful thing, and, and it is. But first, it's humiliating. Because it requires that we admit that we are guilty, right? that we are wrong. Remember several years ago, my wife and I were coming back from a, a long trip. We were exhausted. We were driving through Omaha, and she was driving my car. And uh, I had not replaced the brake light, which she had told me about for a while. And we got pulled over driving through Omaha. And so we're, we're waiting for the, the police officer to walk to the window and she reminded me that she told me that this was going to happen and that I was wrong on this one. Um, and instead of apologizing, I reminded her that had she not been speeding, she never would have been pulled over. But we get pulled over and we're sitting there and the police officer walks up and uh, asks for our license and registration and I pull it out of the glove compartment, hand it to her. He looks at her and he says, do you have updated registration? She looks at me. Um, and I said, I, I, didn't I just give that to you? It should be there. He said, no, this is like over a year old. This isn't even close. Um, have you paid for registration on your car this year? You know, and I just said, I'm so sorry. I, I promise I'm a law-abiding citizen. I, in fact, I remember getting the card in the mail, and it just spaced my mind. Apparently, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'll get that taken care of today. And he says, do you have insurance? And Megan looked at me. And um, I said, yeah, didn't I, I just gave it to you. It should be right there. He said, no, this is expired. This is, this is expired insurance. I said, well, 
Okay, I must have gotten the envelope with the new card and I just forgot to put the card in there, but we have insurance. I promise you, we have insurance. I'm, we're good people, you know, we're law-abiding citizens. I'll fix this today, I promise. Just please don't give us a ticket. Please don't give us a ticket. Uh, and so he gave Megan a ticket. And uh, there's no grace, like no mercy, just the harsh reality of the law. I think his name was Officer Javert. And... <laughs> And so we get this pretty big ticket, and, and part of the deal is we're driving through Sarpy County, not Lancaster County. So Megan gets this pretty hefty ticket, and we need to come back. She needs to go back to Sarpy County with updated insurance and registration at some point. So she's not happy with me um, at all. And, and like a good husband, I said, look, I'm, I'm sorry you're so angry, which a few more years in a marriage I've realized is not really an apology. Um, that's like a, a condemnation of sorts, you know. Um, so I've, I've learned a little bit. But so anyway, so I just I promised. I said, look, I'll make this right. I'll get this right. And so so I did. So I got updated insurance registration. Went to Sarpy County, paid the fee, got back, and, and assured her it's taken care of and it was good. Uh, but I did miss one little detail. Uh, I missed the detail that she was still supposed to show up in court. So we got a letter like a week later saying that there was a warrant out for her arrest, um, which she was really thrilled about, for sure. And so uh, I finally said, I, I'm so sorry. Uh, I was wrong, uh, really wrong on this one. Um, but, you know, admitting, admitting our fault, I mean, it just, doesn't it just run so contrary to everything we feel? Right? That, the pride that is so often lying in here, to admit that we are guilty, to admit that we are, we are wrong. It's never easy. And so Jean Valjean, he, he comes to what is the great crisis of his life. He has to make a choice. He's either going to be conquered, or he's going to, as he's done for the last 19 years, conquer. Either he is going to humble himself, and bend the knee, or he's going to run. And what we find in the story is that Jean Valjean is conquered by grace. He bends the knee. He submits to God. And this is the gospel in Les Mis. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or default, or defect. Right, this, is, this is the heart of the gospel, and it is all over the story. Right, that we cannot save ourselves. That we have what Victor Hugo calls the irremedial misery. That we are sick, and we cannot cure ourselves. And then Jesus takes all of that brokenness and all of that sin onto Himself. He is the great substitute. He took our debt. He died our death. He paid our ransom. He bore our guilt. He carried our burden. He suffered our curse. Grace comes, but, but I have to bend the knee. I have to swallow my pride. I, I have to humble my spirit. And that is, that is the Gospel story. And I wonder if you've ever come to that place where you realize, I am broken, 
I am the wretched one, and I need help. Valjean does this, and in the story, it's, it's, it's incredible, it's beautiful. He becomes a new person, and he, he steps out of the shadow, and where there was once hate and bitterness and anger and vengeance, we find that he is a new person and, and filled with, with love and compassion and mercy, and all of a sudden we find him doing what we saw in Bishop Mariel, which is looking out for, for the wretched ones, looking out for the miserable, looking out for the people who, who cannot help themselves. And entrusted to him is this little girl named Cosette who owes him her life. And he devotes his life to providing for her and protecting her. And it's so beautiful because through the story, he keeps going back to that bag of silver given to him by the bishop because grace keeps on giving. And we're inspired by what happens to Jean Valjean, but there's another man in the story named Javert. And he first meets Jean Valjean in the quarries and then chases him for much of his adult life. Javert has a very interesting backstory. Javert was born in a prison. His father was actually a convict, his mother a despised gypsy, and he spends his entire life trying to prove to himself and prove to the world that he is not like them, and he never will be. He grows determined to save himself by his own devotion to to morality, to duty, to decency and uprightness, to justice and the law. But that is a very heavy burden for the human heart to carry. And what we find is there is a shadow over Javert, just as like there's this shadow over Jean Valjean, but it's more subtle. Jean Valjean spends 19 years for his sin. It is very public. Every time he takes out his passport, he is wearing his sin on his sleeve. It's very, very public. But Javert... His is a little bit more subtle. His brokenness is hidden. He truly believes that he is a better man than Jean Valjean and every breaker of the law. His is a disregard for humanity, a lack of love, a lack of mercy, a lack of grace. His is is very, very religious, right? Because this happens over and over and over again. I mean, it happened in Jesus' day. It happens in Victor Hugo's novel. And it happens today. Right, where in religious circles we have uh, far too many times right, the, the religious who look at certain sins that are more public than ours. And, and we believe, or at least we act, like their public sin is worse than our private sin. Right? Whether it be adultery, right, whether it be addiction, whether it be homosexuality, you name it. And we often act, far too many of us, like that is somehow worse than our pride, our selfishness, our lack of compassion, our lack of generosity. And this is, this is Javert. Right? But when Jesus was asked about the law, when Jesus was asked what the most important thing is, he said, well, the most important thing is just this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Be the kind of person who is swept up in adoration and worship and gratitude, and then just love people. Love them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Carry their burdens. Help in whatever way you can. Serve them before yourself. See, Javert thinks in the story that he is the champion of the law. He is the bringer of the law. But the truth is, he is just as broken as Jean Valjean. In fact, he's, he's a breaker of the law even more so than Jean Valjean. 
Because he refuses to love, refuses to help or serve. But then one day, grace comes to a man named Javert. He wasn't looking for it. Truth is, he didn't want it. But grace came. And it came in the most unlikely form. It came in the form of a convict. One who was condemned and guilty. And his name was Jean Valjean. And he could have killed Javert. And if you're like me, when you watch the film, you're like, just shoot the guy. Be free of this. You're a good man. This guy is just a thorn in your side. Nobody even likes him. And by all human conventions, he should have, but he doesn't. Instead, he spares his life. He saved his life. He showed him grace, and this becomes the great crisis of Javert's life. And I, I don't know about you, but when I watch the story, right, even though in that moment I'm just like, man, Jean Valjean, just take this guy out. At the end of that film, it, it tears me up. Right, as he takes those chains off of Jean Valjean, and he puts it on himself, and he throws himself in the river because it didn't have to happen that way. I, I, I watched that, and that's, that's, I don't know about you, but that's where my heart breaks. Because it's like, man, all you had to do was humble yourself. But he couldn't do that. He insisted, mine is the way of the Lord. And the way that he understood God was this merciless judge who dishes out punishment, right? His was a black and white world of law. For every action, there was an equal reaction. Couldn't do it. And then grace comes and it shatters his universe. It does not fit in his box, this grace. And, and it's, really, it's really interesting because uh, Victor Hugo, he uses the exact same imagery to, to, to describe these two men, about 100 pages apart. And he says that, that they are, each man is like an owl that is blinded by the sun. Right? Because when you've been living in the shadow, that which is really light, just, it blinds you at first. Grace comes to these two men that we find in Les Mis, and it says as it has always said, as it says to you and me, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice and hold fast to Him. At one man, grace comes to you. Jean Valjean. And he responds with repentance and brokenness and he bends the knee and his heart is softened. And he becomes a changed man. And he lives a new life. But then grace comes to another man and he will not bend the knee. He does not let grace do its work. He rejects grace. And as a result, his heart is hardened, not softened. And he dies the death of despair. But this is a gospel story, so hope gets the last word. Jean Valjean, at the end, he's an old man, and he's dying alone when Cosette and Marius, who you didn't get to meet in there, uh, finally realize the extent of his love and the extent of his sacrifice, and they come to him, uh, but he's dying. And they read this. He writes, On this page... I write my last confession. Read it well when I at last am sleeping.
It's a story of those who always loved you. Your mother gave her life for you and gave you to my keeping. And then Fantine comes to him whom death could not keep. And this is so beautiful. This is, this is just the gospel, guys, coursing through this story. This is, this is a promise to you. And, and I believe this is why we're so moved by this story. This is our story. It says, come with me where chains will never bind you. All your grief at last, at last behind you. Lord in heaven, look down on him in mercy. Forgive me all my trespasses and take me to your glory. Take my hand and lead me to salvation. Take my love, for love is everlasting. And remember the truth that once was spoken. To love another person is to see the face of God. I love that line. Don't you love that line? It's, it's beautifully written into the musical, uh, but it's a very biblical idea. Right? Because the Bible tells us that each person, you included, bears the fingerprint of God within you, within the person sitting next to you, and every person in this room, there is a fingerprint of the divine. And when you look on them, you're not just looking on a normal person. You're seeing brokenness, sure, but beneath it is the fingerprint of their creator. In fact, there's a story uh, of Jacob and Esau in Genesis, and they are two brothers, and they hate one another. And there's this vengeance and this anger between them for years and years and years, And then finally they are reconciled. Grace comes to Jacob. And grace comes to Esau. And they're united. And Jacob looks at Esau and he says to him, he says, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. And then come these words. And they are your words. They can be yours through this man, through Jesus. It says, do you hear the people sing? Lost in the valley of the night. Yea, while I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It is the music of a people who are climbing to the light. For the wretched of the earth, there is a flame that never dies. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Even the darkest nights will end and the sun will rise. They will live again in freedom in the garden of the Lord. They will walk behind the plowshare and they will put away the sword. The chain will be broken and all men will have their reward. Will you join in our crusade? Who will be strong and stand with me? For somewhere beyond the barricade is there a world you long to see. We are the people who sing. We are the people who sing with our words and we are the people who sing with our lives. And what we sing is the Gospel. The message of God's grace. We sing it to ourselves. We sing it to one another. And we sing it to a broken and hurting world that needs to hear that grace comes. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank You that grace comes. I thank You that it keeps on coming. thank You, Lord, that You give us the chance to choose whether we will humble ourselves and bend the knee and let grace do its work in us and make us a new man, a new woman, live a new life, 
or whether we will reject grace and let our heart be hardened and live a life and die a death of despair. Lord, I ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our eyes. I pray for those in this room who until now have refused to bend the knee and let grace do its work. That you would show them that it doesn't have to be that way. Regardless of their past, their circumstances, regardless of anything that they have done or anything that they have not done, Lord, that grace comes and it keeps on coming. Lord, may we be a people of grace. Continue to to shock us with your grace. To awe us with your grace. May we just be swept up in the wonder that is your grace. That this is not a world and you are not a God governed by law. Black and white. Merciless. But that you offer us mercy. And grace comes. And so Lord, we give you our lives. Let grace do its work and use us to extend that grace to the scars and to the open wounds of this world. We pray these things in your name. Amen.